The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watch Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you know about angels? Um, Just recently, I watched a new show on Amazon called Good Omens. Has anybody seen that yet or or read the book that it's based on? Um, It's a story about an angel and a demon uh, and how how they try to stave off the end of the world. Um, It's a short TV series on Amazon. It's based on a book by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Uh, And it traces the 6,000-year relationship between an uptight angel named Aziraphale and a devil-may-care demon named Crowley, who have known each other since the Garden of Eden, where a certain demon tempted a certain couple who got in trouble, and a certain angel then was charged with guarding the gates to the garden with a flaming sword. The story goes that Aziraphale and Crowley have lived among humanity for millennia until our modern times, and that they were responsible for all kinds of unexplained phenomena across the centuries. Um, In one of my favorite laugh-out-loud moments in the show, it is revealed that it was the demon Crowley who was responsible for designing the M25 highway around London, which is notorious for its traffic jams. Who knows? maybe even design the Schuylkill. Um, but we, when we find them in the book and in the show, um, they're trying to stop the end of the world. They're trying to stop Armageddon from happening in a small English village. And it turns out that they have, um, how would you put it, misplaced the Antichrist. Um, It's a great show and a funny take on the traditions of angels and demons that run throughout the Bible. But of course, it's only the latest installment of a pop entertainment fascination with angels. Angels show up in all kinds of places in our popular culture. On TV, some of you will remember Touched by an Angel and Highway to Heaven, and more recently, Supernatural and Miracle Workers. And there are movies like It's a Wonderful Life where Clarence the Angel finally gets his wings, uh, The Angels in the Outfield, and Dogma where Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are angels, uh, and angels show up in art and music in all kinds of places. Um, it's actually one of our favorite family traditions on Christmas Eve, uh, before everybody goes to bed, that we listen to an old radio program called The Littlest Angel uh, that's narrated by Loretta Young. Uh, it was an old radio show that they put together with all the sounds and drama that goes along with it, uh, and we had it on records and we listened to it so many times that the records finally wore out, and we had to find copies and put it on a CD so that we could still listen to it. So we love that story of the littlest angel, the angel, the littlest angel, who all that he had to bring to the Christ child was his 
box of favorite things, which seems so insignificant to all the gifts that everybody else brought, but it was the favorite gift of the Christ child because he was a child too. So angels loom large in our imaginations, but that really only scratches the surface of what the Bible says about them. The Bible has a lot to say about angels, some of which you heard this morning. Uh, and all that sent me to my trusty Anchor Bible Dictionary reference books. And I read all about angels this week in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I read it so you don't have to. You're welcome. <laughs> and in very short order, this is what it says. It says, angels are many things. They are part of God's divine royal court gathered around God's throne, like we hear about in Isaiah 6. They are divine agents of God's service. They are warriors. They are messengers, like Gabriel tells Mary that she'll bear God's son. They are guardians of individuals and churches, protectors of the pious. They are teachers and mediators, revealers and guides. They are interpreters of visions and mysteries. And in addition to the Bible, there are all kinds of other ancient legends and traditions and writings about angels that, while they don't appear in the Bible, the biblical writers knew about and referenced. So you know that story of how Satan rebelled against God in heaven, and then Satan and all his minions and were fallen angels were sent down into hell? Well, the whole story of that is actually not in the Bible. It comes from an ancient manuscript. But it dates from the same time, and so biblical authors reference that story again and again as we hear in Revelation and Luke today, an angel falling from heaven. And Michael, St. Michael, as it turns out, for whom this day is named, is the head over all the angels, the top archangel. I didn't even know there was a hierarchy of angels, but there's Michael, and there's Gabriel, and archangels, and then kind of everybody else. Um, Michael was the patron angel of Israel, a merciful and righteous intercessor, the guardian of Abraham, intercessor between God and Moses, the keeper of the holy books, and the leaders of the angels that cast Satan out of heaven. And he slays a dragon, which, as things go, is a pretty cool thing to be remembered for. So angels are pretty cool, pretty interesting, but what does it mean for us? And what does it matter? Well, two things came up for me uh, in the Bible witness about angels and us. Um, and the first was that at certain times in the Bible, because the Bible was written over a long period of time, and certain times angels were a way of holding on to hope in the face of disaster. Like when the Israelites were exiled into Babylon, uh, they believed and they called upon the angels to help them. They believed in these supernatural agents of God who were combating the forces of evil, evil, angels who provided hope that the forces of good were stronger than the forces of evil that they were experiencing at that time. Angels were fighting the good fight and protecting God's people. And second, angels were a way of reflecting on people's reality in the natural world. Um, the commentator says about this reading from Daniel, the increase in discourse about angels indicates that those authors found the speculation of the heavenly world a useful way to explore serious religious and theological issues, including the existence of evil and the hope and experience of transformation. And so 
angels in a way were a lens through which people could understand their world and regard their world in a richer and deeper way. But what I like about all of this is that angels are a way of explaining the unexplainable. Angels are a way of explaining the unexplainable. They are a way of recognizing or perhaps hoping in something that transcends our reality. They represent and even inhabit the spiritual dimensions of life, the ineffable, the eternal, the unknown, and the unseen. Angels make room for mystery in our imaginations. And that space for mystery seems to be a rapidly shrinking place in our culture. I mean, just think about the weather and how in days gone by, the weather was thought to be the domain of the gods and the angels. Floods and famines were thought to be punishment wrought by God on his people. Thunder and lightning were some kind of cosmic conflict happening in the heavens that we would overhear and oversee. And yet today we have all this weather information right on our phones, down to the little rain cell on the radar that's passing over Mondock Park as I'm getting ready to go for a run. And they still can't get the forecast right. So you tell me. But science and technology, reason and logic, which are all good and vital things, especially when it, they're used in service to humanity and creation, they can diminish in our perception and experience of the world the mysteries of our daily lives. It seems that there is less and less room for the unexplained and less time for us to contemplate it. Um, one of the biggest trends in our culture is that everything is becoming more data-driven from business to basketball. Uh, everything is becoming more quantified. Uh, we now count how many steps we walk in a day. We can track our heart rate, our food intake. We use productivity apps to squeeze the most from our work time. Um, at the end of every week, my Outlook program sends me an email to let me know how productive I was, how much I worked, and whether it was collaboratively or by myself. Um, and all of this is part of a trend called the quantified self. The quantified self. So take running, for instance, something I know a little bit about. Um, today, with a phone or a Fitbit or a smartwatch, when you run, you can map your run on GPS and see exactly where it was that you went. You can measure your distance, your pace, your heart rate, your oxygen load. Science and biology tells me that at the end of my run, I get chemical endorphins that release that give my body a runner's high. And I love all that data. I love all that information, but there is something else also in the running that for me at least is spiritual, that there is more to that experience than the sum of all those measurements and chemical reactions. You could pick any number of examples from your experience or your work. Um, in my work, I recently saw an article in Wired magazine about a robot priest. I'm not sure if you've seen this. Um, in a 400-year-old Buddhist temple in Kyoto, Japan, they have installed a robot priest who, quote, like other clergy members, this priest can deliver sermons and move around to interface with worshipers. 
Um, right now, the robot can only repeat certain things that it's been programmed to do, but soon they say they'll be adding machine learning and artificial intelligence so that the robot priests can do more and more and more. And yet, for all of this, uh, as I saw on my sabbatical this summer, people are hungry for personal and human connection, which brings us to a deeper spiritual connection with each other and our world. Um, when I was on sabbatical, I was really intentional about unplugging from a lot. I didn't take my computer, I didn't take a tablet, I deleted almost all the apps off of my phone. Uh, I used my GPS not to get lost. I used WhatsApp and texting to keep up with my family. I had my boarding passes and travel tickets on the phone and took lots and lots of pictures with it. But otherwise, I lived a pretty analog existence. And I found that um, I wasn't processing my experiences in order to share or explain them to somebody else, but I was just present, fully present there and experiencing them and noticing things I would have not normally ever noticed in the day-to-day -day of my daily life. And I think all of those experiences and the whole sabbatical experience was richer for it. When smartphones become a dominant way that we understand and experience our reality from the weather to our relationships, it's essential even if we love those technologies, to step back and to say, is there more to this? Is there another lens through which I can view my life and my world? What, if anything, am I missing in the effort to quantify and optimize myself? And so when it comes to the angels, it's nice to know that amidst all of this, somebody is looking out for us that we are not alone in fighting the good fight, that the forces of good are at work even when it feels like the forces of evil are winning. Um, at our 7.45 and 9 o'clock service sharing times this morning, we had story upon story about how people had encountered angels in their everyday lives, often an unexplained meeting with a kind stranger who made everything just seem okay for that moment and then they never saw them again moments where other people have become angels for us, to know that we are not alone, that we are supported in walking this life of faith. But also I think there's an invitation in these readings to make room for our lives for the unquantifiable, to make room and space for mystery, for spirituality, for your body to move because it can and it wants to and not just for how many steps that you'll get in for time to be in nature and time to be with others, time that is unscripted and time for the unpredictable, to make room for the mystery. And as it says in Daniel, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky. In our communion liturgy this season, well, every season, we say in the preface, and with angels and archangels, cherubim and seraphim, we join their praise and sing your, their unending hymn. And in this season, we sing, holy, 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 my heart, my heart adores you. My heart is glad to say the words, you are holy, God. Amen.